Hello everyone and welcome back to That's Lame, the equestrian podcast for horse girls from horse girls. Welcome back everyone. Hello everyone, we are joined today by one of our close friends, Rose Hughes-Smith. Hello everyone. Hello Rose. Okay, so obviously Evie and I know Rose. I have known Rose for probably over a decade now. I think yeah. so. Yeah, God. easily. A long time. Yeah, when we were like 10 and 11. I think it yeah. might have been before your mum used Nine. to train with Augie, the little Welsh cob I had, and I must have been like seven or eight. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's been a long time. So Rose and I have a lot of childhood memories growing up <laughs> involving ponies and various odd things. But obviously you as the listeners don't know Rose, so let's do a little introduction to her. Evie? So Rose, one of our listeners wanted to know, how did you get into horses specifically? dressage so I think I'd always been slightly horse obsessed because I was born in London and you could see like the household cavalry sort of go past the Wait, window you just said that we've known each other for years ages and years. I didn't know you were born in London yeah we live we London. Didn't... London big old London. big smoke the big city <laughs> oh my god yeah I, we, I lived in London until I was about five or six and then I moved to Henley. I just assumed that you just popped out of the ground in Henley just on Thames. Just, <laughs> everyone just lives in Henley. I just walked out of the Thames one day. <laughs> You're just a Henley girl through and through, you know? I am, yeah. No, I was so I, we used to be able to see the House of Cavalry walk past, and I was always obsessed with it, running to the window and like, watching them and everything. So I, even though I hadn't really ever ridden, I was a bit like horsey mad. And then we moved to Henley, I think I sort of annoyed my parents enough where they finally caved in and let me have riding lessons and then it sort of escalated from there okay so your parents aren't horsey at all like before you got into horses obviously well so mum did a bit of polo and like horsey stuff in australia where she's from she was like jillaroo it's like a Australian cowgirl almost. Oh, cool. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I can see your mum as well. <laughs> like yeah. cowboy hat and everything. Nice. So she she did that. So she'd obviously been around horses, but not in like a dressage or anything like that. And then I think dad did like a tiny bit of hunting when he was younger, but wasn't like super keen on the whole <laughs> I thing. I can also see your dad hunting. <laughs> <laughs> They're very on brand. Yeah. <laughs> My mum one year for Christmas got him a polo lesson. So I think he might have just got back into horses then as well. But I think I just kind of kept bugging them and bugging them. And eventually they sort of caved in and I went to like a local riding school. How I got into dress was also a bit by accident because I was a little bit of an insane child and had like absolutely zero like... <laughs> just zero self-preservation I was absolutely mad (laughs) and I had an eventing pony that she used to just bolt and I would find it really funny because I thought it was really fun and I had no control and I think my mum was convinced I was just going to die so then I was banned from doing eventing until I could control my pony a bit better because (laughs) or it'd be like so case in point is like I'd have like a cross country training or something and my train as a joke would be like oh yeah haha go jump this like big fence on my tiny like 40 hand pony and I'd be like, yeah, okay. And I'd just be like galloping off. And he'd be like, no, 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 no. So mum was like, she's, I'm not going to have a daughter. She's she's going to die. So then she want, I needed more control. So then I started having dressage lessons. And then I just kind of caught the bug for it, really. And never really stopped. So tell us a bit about your sort of career as such with horses, because you did teams and things like that, didn't you? Ponies, yeah. Yeah. So I think I actually did teams on my first kind of like proper dressage pony because before then I'd had like pony club or like eventing ponies that I'd kind of forced to do dressage with me. (laughs) 
So then I got like a proper dressage pony. And then a year later, uh, 2013, I think it was my first European Championships I went to. And then I did ponies until 2015 and then did juniors and then did a bit of young riders and then lost my last year of young riders because of COVID. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that old thing. This that is all news to me. I'm like, oh, I'm learning so forever. much about roads. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And you also worked abroad in that time, didn't you? Yeah. So I've worked in Germany twice. So I went... Twice? Again? Yeah. <laughs> Once wasn't enough. We're learning so many things today. <laughs> Such close friends. Yeah. Oh God, it's terrible. So after uni, I went over winter for, to Germany, but I also went over my gap year as well. Yeah. How was that, like, going abroad and... I No, I, I really enjoyed it. I think... Um, I just really like Germany, really like the people. And so my gap year, I went to Helen and Hannenberg's place and... The training was just amazing. Her work ethic is just like crazy. So she was like always really supportive. She kind of like went out of her way to help me and my horses, which was really nice. And then I think I was there for like a year and a half. And then I eventually had to leave because I had to go to university. (laughs) But I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. And then after I graduated uni, I went to sort of Germany to like try horses. And then one of the yards I was trying a horse at where I actually bought one, um, they offered me a job to sort of work there. So then I was a rider there trying to get sort of the horsey bug out of my system a bit before joining the corporate world. And I think I was there for like seven months. And you say you've bought a horse there. So tell us about your like current rides because you've got two horses at the moment. Yeah. So I've got a six-year-old called Quintana and then a five-year-old called Bella. But Bella's the actually first horse that sort of I own myself. So obviously Quintana's owned by my parents. And then Bella, I think I bought her when she was like six weeks old. And I kind of was talking to like a breeder that I knew. I didn't I didn't really know like that much about, oh, you know, you need to lo- you, like look for certain characteristics and stuff like that. And I also didn't have a very big budget because I was buying her myself. So yeah, so I bought her when she was six weeks old and she's now five. And then I also have another two-year-old out in Germany called Ellie as well. So got three three in total and two under I completely forgot about your two-year-old as well everyone does my dad does all the time which is well, thank goodness yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot well I like, see a nice fall and I'm kind of trying to convince him that oh you know I haven't really got another one he yeah. kind of always forgets about her when will she come back do you think like maybe when she's three like will she be backed over there no I think I'll back her in England because we just have the same guy we used for Bella we'll probably use for her as well because he was just amazing and so she'll probably come back like sometime next year when she's three but it depends how her like body's looking and if she needs more time to mature because then she'll come back when she's four just depends really what would you say your long-term dressage goals are other than world domination (laughs) (laughs) just win everything um that's such a good question i think ideally like quinn's a really talented horse and she's got an amazing brain and she's got like a lot of power. So I just kind of want to see how far we can go together. I think with horses, it's so hard to make any sort of solid plan because they have a very good knack for like injuring or like things happen or circumstances change. So I think I just want to see with Quinn how far we can go really. Yeah. And I think as well, like as obviously riders, it's horrible almost saying your goals out loud as well, because I always feel as though I'm jinxing it. Oh yeah. I just, I don't even want to think about it. No, no. Or you think you come across like being really like not realistic. If you've got like a young horse, you're like, oh, I want to do like Grand Prix and stuff. You kind of feel really oh, guilty. Oh, it like... gives me anxiety. Yeah. I've had yeah. a couple of people be like, oh, what are your pl- like, plans with Terry? And I'm like, don't, don't ask, me ask that. that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing next week. I don't just give them the eyes. <laughs> I'm not saying it out loud. Okay, so you mentioned that you have a corporate job now. Rose has told us several times what her corporate <laughs> job is, but I'm so not corporate that I don't even understand We're not what your job enough. is. 
So run us through in brief horse understanding terms what it is that you do. Okay. So, well, basically I work for a consultancy, but we specialise, this is normally where I lose Joe. we specialise... <laughs> what does consultancy mean? <laughs> that is actually genuinely what I was going to ask. It's like an advisor, basically. So people have problems and we sort of advise them on how to fix it. So sort of like what we do on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, basically people come to dilemmas and I give them my Are they advice. Are they hiring? <laughs> Could you imagine? What is the advice that you give out then? Well, so my job's a bit niche in the fact that we only serve private capital markets clients. Oh dear. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Can you see how I get lost all the time? So it's like a, just a really small niche subsector of financial services called okay. private equity, which is things that aren't traded on the public stock exchange. <laughs> So Our listeners got, are going to be tuning in at the wrong time and thinking, I'm not listening to like an, yeah, an entrepreneur-like podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you, well, if you think of it in terms of, you know, you have an auction where horses are very publicly like bought and sold and you can see the prices and everything's really clear. Yeah. And then you have loads of horses sold privately that have like investors coming in, buying them, but it's very, you don't know the prices, you don't know like who's invested or yeah. when they'll sell the horse. I just do the more private stuff. So I won't do okay. like public open markets. We just do like real estate infrastructure, stuff like that instead. So you like private companies. So you advise people on investing. Also be like so the companies that are responsible for investing or fundraising or like making the deals, they'll have problems and then we work with them to figure out how they can fix or like improve their business, if that makes sense. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. <laughs> but when you explained it in horse terms, I understood. Well, they'll be okay. So they've got like a private sales barn, and they're like, okay. "Oh, we wanna, we wanna add like twenty more horses, or like, oh, we wanna get more people in the door to buy these horses, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how." Or they'll be like, oh, "Our tack room's a mess. Or like, this is wrong, and like, we need a new farrier and stuff like that." They have all these sort of problems, and then we come in and are like, "Well, you can do this if you wanna add ten horses, or this is how you can get more people in." That sort of thing. Wow. Okay, I get it. Now, I get it. Now, I get it. Finally. <laughs> Amazing. Second part of that question. How did you come to the decision to not pursue horses full time and instead have like a corporate role? Or was that always on the horizon for you? So I think for like a really long time, I always thought because like riding is like my passion, sort of like in my blood, I kind of feel like. And for ages, I was like, oh, I'll just do horses and that will be my career. But then I think, and it's like a tale as old as time. And I think probably so many people have been through this as well. But I just had a couple of tricky years, but it's fine. And then I had one really bad year where like I lost my top horse and then like COVID hit. I kind of had a situation where I basically ended up losing all the horses that I was riding. So I couldn't ride and do like dressage anymore. And it was during COVID. So I couldn't exactly go out and ride other people's horses for them. I kind of sat down and took a step back and thought, like oh god what if that had been my livelihood like what if I was reliant on this horse to like you know pay for my like gas bill or more shavings or more hay or more food for the other horses and then I kind of decided you know it'd be better to have like my passion and my livelihood separate so that my livelihood can pay for my passion and that I don't have to be reliant on an animal for my livelihood but they can just rely on me instead just wanted to make sure that I could give them like the best life that they wanted they weren't under pressure then if you know I think sometimes when you look at a horse business in a more commercial sense that there's a lot of pressure to be like you know we have to pay the bills so this horse has to be ready to sell this horse has to do this competition and it's very much like you have to meet, reach these targets whereas horses like mature at different phases and if they're really young and a bit wobbly you want to give them more time and they're really big commercial stables you can't afford to give them time and so I just decided that I wanted my horses to have like all the time in the world and if they
they went lame or needed like 10 years in a field or something like it's fine it's not a problem they can do that if they want to but hopefully not and it just meant that I could just sort of like pay for them just to live and be happy and that I wasn't reliant on them to sort of pay for me that makes so much sense I don't know why <laughs> like we haven't thought of that before <laughs> we're like god I'm like oh my god she's literally I'm handing in my resignation <laughs> <laughs> first thing send me a CV yeah we need some advice yeah. yeah how do you find that works for you then so sort of break it down with like the pros and the cons so pros for instance like do you find that it's almost nice having your passion sort of compartmentalized because you get to then enjoy it more yeah I think it is quite fun because at the end of the day and how I look at it is like I'm just doing it for the sake of the sport I'm just doing it for me now so if I go to a show and it goes absolutely like tit up and I get like eliminated or like I run into the judge's hut or like I you know knock down a child or something terrible <laughs> happens that like, it doesn't really matter because I'm just doing it for me and I'm just like competing against myself in that sense. Whereas I think when you're doing it as like a job or on behalf of another stable, it's just like all this like pressure. Whereas now I can just kind of dick about a bit and have fun. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Do you ever get like FOMO? Because obviously working Monday to Friday, I presume, I know that you work quite long hours with your job. Like, Do you ever find it sort of difficult with competitions sort of being restricted on when you can compete and things like that? It can be a little bit difficult. And what I've really noticed I didn't notice this before is how many venues only have shows on like a Wednesday or a Thursday especially around here and I don't know why they do that mm. but there are some venues that literally never run on a weekend and I can only compete on a weekend so it can be a little bit restrictive one of the good things about the pandemic was that they introduced the hybrid working style and so I think a lot of people have a far better like work-life balance now and I can actually work from home someday so I still get to sort of you know, I'll ride during my lunch break or I ride before and after work. And so I kind of still get enough of the horses, especially, you know, if I'm like quite fortunate in the fact that they're also based at home. So I, where I work, when I'm working from home, I can like look out and see them in the field. So I still get my sort of horsey elements back. Yeah. And talking about your facilities at home, obviously you're quite fortunate, but do you have any advice for people that might want to sort of give it a go balancing horses with a job outside of horses? So I think having like a really good routine is key and also having like a really good team around you because it's actually amazing how many people I've met that are doing like a corporate job and they have horses but so many of them as well have they're in a good position where they have such an amazing support team around them so when they're in the office there's someone still looking after the horses and still doing like lunging or hacking or like still you know ticking them over they're not just sort of left in a, in a field for three days so I think having a really set routine also like a lot of planning so if you have to go on like a business trip or if you know okay I'm not gonna be able to ride on these days it's just making like the adjustments ahead of time really planning being really like conscious of like your time management and saying and also being like really I think a little bit selfish with your own time because if you've sort of decided well I'm going to ride like 12 to 1 or something you kind of need to be like at 12 even if I'm like if I finished something really important I need to like get out of my office and ride because otherwise you get so wrapped up in work you just kind of forget to leave your office and your work right until like seven o'clock at night so I think just like time management being selfish with your time and having like a really strong routine and then having just a, you know if you can just like a really good team around you you know my parents and my team and the people that I work with are kind of the reason that I can juggle both and without them I just I couldn't do it alone it'd just be impossible 
Yeah, there was that addition in the Horse and Hound this week, actually, wasn't there, with that event rider that's just done Burley? Yes, and she's also an accountant. She's an accountant at, like, KPMG or something, and she's yeah. just ridden around Burley. So but, it's definitely more common, isn't it, now yeah. than it ever was, especially at the high, like, people actually competing at a very high level, I yeah, would say. Yeah, the hybrid and, as well has been, like, absolutely amazing. Before COVID, if it was, it was very much like you either ride or you work, you can't do both. And so then I always just would have done horses, like, there's no way I wouldn't have. But now you can do hybrid, you can actually have a, a balance, and I think you can still do it to like a really highly competitive level and also have another job because like my ambitions and everything as well like I still want to be highly competitive and I think because of the hybrid work style and if you have a really good team behind you you can sort of find a way to juggle it if there's a will there's a way I was gonna say that as they say Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, Rose and I have known each other for a very long time and with that comes a lot of memories. Indeed. So the first memory that I remember that's actually quite traumatic is when I saved Rose's life. Joe, that was like four years into our friendship. <laughs> I know, but I saved Rose's life, didn't I? You did, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't think that you remembered this. But then you said it one day and I was like, oh my God, she remembers. Because it sent a chill down my spine when it happened. And we were so young we as were. well. That could have been it for me. Yeah, I think you were giving me a tour of your yard because we were so little and it was just like so much fun to just like go around the yards and like look behind every stable and whatnot. And you lifted up a feed bin, yeah, a metal feed bin, and we were so small that you like had to lean all the way in to get the feed out. And as you leant in, the lid of the metal feed bin started coming down and it was like a big bin as well. And I could just see the trajectory of the lid of the bin hitting the back of your neck medieval it yeah it was like exactly on the point where it would just be lights out immediately yeah, like literally. it was exactly on the vulnerable bit yeah yeah neck. and i just remember seeing like your little child neck and this <laughs> that sounds weird like a dream that sounds yeah. weird also a child i know but i just remember seeing like your neck and this lid just coming down and i just put my hand up and stopped it and i think both of us were like ah, and then just yeah. like carried on playing but it really that that memory has stuck with me forever and I still have that feed bin. Do you? Yeah. So health and safety. We're really <laughs> up on that at home. I don't think you're so small now that you wouldn't have to like lean all the way. I feel like your late your like your feet went on the ground either because you were leaning so far. Oh, I was in, tiny. But... I don't know if I was trying to get some food or something, but I was literally like almost got into the feed bin. Yeah, yeah. But that's the most traumatic memory that I have. I also remember we used to set up jumps and jump with them all the time. That's a classic though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, that is like a fan favourite among if you've got horses and you're a child, you will end up like jumping over things well, it's a good workout though well, well I always say to you about how I did athletics yeah later on at school and I was really good at hurdles and it's because <laughs> you watch your horses jumping no, up no and I used to jump all the time when I was like five I used to set obstacles up and I was like I'm actually training myself incidentally for this for hurdles like I think it could be a good pathway for like Olympic hurdle like, professional yeah. hurdle runner honestly I had like a real head start but there was the time Rose and I did a display oh this oh yeah in cardboard horses they were almost they were quite realistic they were pretty they good they were and for context how tall are you Rose? now I'm about six foot yeah and I'm like five foot five and I feel like I've always been shorter than you and you've always had really long legs and at the time I think you were a county runner and yeah. we were doing this we were doing this display I don't think anyone else does to do it either we just Is took it video? upon ourselves I always think it was at like under 21s yeah. and no one asked us and Is no one wanted video? it you... no no I don't, think anyone, video I don't think anyone recorded it 
There's I, another I video of hot cardboard it. horses. Is that just a thing that you do? Yeah, no, that was one. That's where we got the idea from. Yeah, we just done it more than once. Exact same cardboard horses. But <laughs> we did this group called the Dressage Under 21s group. Yeah. Which was such fun. And we just put this display on. And yeah, no one asked no us one, to do but it. But we were like, you know what? We're going to perform. Yeah. But I can remember it was like a part of dirt. And as we passed each other, you were like, another extended trot. And I was like, Rose, I can't <laughs> breathe. <laughs> and we had to have like a walk break. And that memory really sticks with me. Yeah, that would have been a pretty intense workout. I also just yeah. remember having, because I also used to have like insane amounts of energy. And oh I was God, having yeah. the time of my life. And you were just <laughs> dying. Just... And every time we passed each other, you were like, Stop, we need stop. To stop. And you were like, again. <laughs> yeah. And then time you borrowed my pony and you did a freestyle to the ketchup song. And also Chippy. <laughs> Actually, the first time we met, I went to your place to have a lesson on Chippy. He was this tiny, yeah. how big was he? Maybe like 13? He was 13 too, but he could do flying changes, PF, canter outside like a full shebang. So like any little person that like wasn't big enough to ride a horse would come and ride Chip so they could learn how to ride. I remember Phoebe Peters doing flying changes on Chip. Yeah. And I learned how to ride in a double bridle on Chippy as well. Yeah. But the first time I met you is because I just had the lesson and then your mum called you over to like help me untack. Oh, the first time. <laughs> first time I saw you. Oh my God. Do you remember there was a craze when we were maybe, must have been like 10 or 11, there was that app where you would like lip sync? Oh my God, I do remember Do you remember this? I do remember this. Oh no. <laughs> and we spent the entire day and I had this huge big stuffed giraffe and we had these onesies yeah. and one of them was like a giraffe onesie and we spent this entire day directing, choreographing this like lip sync oh music video on this app. And we used to take loads of photos with Cam Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was like musically before music yeah. day. I remember going to try a pony with you. Which pony was that? Campari. Oh, did you? Were you there? I, I just came <laughs> along with you. With that, yeah, car, with that cardboard I have, horse. I, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I just, I, I just remember being there and I do really remember that. Just watching in the bushes. I remember like we did that course at Heartbreed together, didn't we? Oh, Ace. Ace, we did that yeah. together. Yeah. Done a lot together. We have done a lot together. Didn't you have like all of those ponies, like toy ponies? Oh, the Brea. Yes. Oh, yeah. We used to play with them for ages because you had all set up as like a yard and we used to sit there and play with them. Did you have more than one bread? Did you have like loads of bread? That's so many. Oh my God, I'm so You had like jealous. the full shebang. I you even had Allegro at one point. I had I one. I had one Brea. I didn't have any. I just used to go to Rose's house. They, their legs <laughs> kept breaking. I, I oh, you probably threw them out the window. <laughs> yeah, I was about you the and your Barbie. Stuffing no, them cantering on the ground and their leg would just snap. You don't know your own strength. And then I was getting <laughs> super glue. I would literally get super glue out and super oh. glue and then bandage because obviously oh, no. the recovery and then they'd have weeks off. Oh, no. It's a nightmare. Surprised you didn't become a vet with all I've done a really... If I bought a toy pony as well when I was like six, they would be in... What's it called isolation. Really? I'm not even joking. A hundred percent. Childhood memories, though, man. I wish we could go back. I never heard the word corporate when I when we were children. Alrighty then, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of That's Lame, featuring Rose Hugh Smith. This has been part one of two, and in the next episode, we're going to be answering dilemmas. So keep your ears open for that. And also, this is your sign to go out and buy yourself some toy ponies and go and play with them. <laughs> Get some Legos. <laughs> Just uh, go and enjoy yourself. Okay, guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>